2: It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup, when we break down the biggest local and state news stories of the week.
0: The governor of Illinois is boasting a promising future for the state. That's after he delivered his State of the State address.
2: But he also used the occasion to call for ethics
1: reform. It's no longer enough to sit idle while under-the-table deals extortion or bribery persist.
2: Former Illinois State Senator Martin Sandoval says he takes full responsibility for his crimes, hours after pleading guilty to taking... A quarter of a million dollars in bribes. I'm
0: ashamed and I'm sorry. I want to apologize to the people of Illinois and to my constituents.
2: With me in studio to break down those stories and more, WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKenney, Chicago Tribune state government reporter Dan Vitrella, and David Greising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Welcome, everybody. Happy Friday.
0: Jen, how are you?
2: Doing well. Thanks for having me. So, so let's start with Governor Pritzker's State of the State address in Springfield. Uh, the governor touted some of his biggest accomplishments so far and laid out his 2020 agenda.
1: It's time to end the practice of legislators serving as paid lobbyists. In fact, it's time to end the for-profit influence peddling among all elected officials at every level of government in Illinois. Dave McKinney, what
0: stood out to you in this speech? Well, I mean, I think he was pretty forceful in talking about ethics reform, and he really had no choice but to do that, given developments of late. But, you know, he, he was... Actually, unlike other speeches i 've seen like this from other governors, he was specific about what he wanted to see done on the ethics front. I thought I mean he talked about you know ending this this deal where where legislators would retire from office and then immediately go represent a special interest and these contracts that these guys move into in, in you know representing utility companies or whatever five grand a month, and if they amass eight or ten or fifteen or twenty clients, you can see how they get wealthy really quickly. <laughs> And, and so he, he's wanting to crack down on that and, and build in a revolving door thing. And that's, that's going to be in the offing here, I think.
1: David Grayson, other things that stood out to you? Well, I think it's good that he kind of laid out a laundry list on the ethics reform. He still has not taken as forceful a position as Governor Pritzker might. If he really is serious, he could lay out a list of non-negotiables. I won't sign a bill that doesn't have some of these reforms that he has talked about. He also didn't go to some of the bigger issues that are much in discussion, such as ending gerrymandering, which he has said he won't sign a gerrymandered map, but he still has not committed to, say, a constitutional amendment that would end gerrymandering. So he's taken
3: some steps, but if he really is serious, could take. A few more.
2: Dan, what about you? What stood
3: out? Uh, one thing that was interesting to me was his um, comments on wanting to move forward with clean energy legislation this spring. In light of all that's going on with the corruption investigation, federal agents being scrutinizing of ComEd's lobbying practices in Springfield, there's some questions among people in Springfield about how much appetite lawmakers are going to have to deal with anything that has to do with energy legislation this spring. The governor said he wants to see it and he wants to do it without the utility companies really having. A voice or, or being at the table or writing the legislation themselves, is, which is how things are usually done in Springfield. Um, it'll be a big test of their clout this yeah. spring to see if that gets done. And that
1: was said so subtly and in passing the speech, and yet if you really were able to accomplish that, that would be a huge kind of transformative change. Because forever, Dave, you covered this forever, utilities really have drawn up legislation that, that regulates them. But you, yeah, thought I mean, the, it,
2: you thought the governor's statement on this was, was subtle? Because <laughs> well, he said, he said very strongly, I will not sign legislation that's written by the energy companies. It didn't strike I, me as subtle at all. Well,
1: by that, I meant that you wouldn't have realized what a huge change that would be if it, it, it actually happens. I, I agree with you, Jen. It was a direct statement. Yeah. So. I mean,
0: it's it, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's, it, it is amazing, though, Dan, Like like you point out, that... We listened to an earnings call a month or two ago with Exelon, and they're like full steam ahead on getting legislation through Springfield that helps them bail out their money losing nuclear plants. And come hell or high water, they're planning on doing something. And I think you know, Pritzker has drawn a line in the sand here that says, "Look, you you know, we know that your lobbying practices are under scrutiny. We are not going to do things the way we have in the past with this." But but again, ComEd, Exelon, they have bathed this culture in money. And influence.
2: Well, and that brings up the point. Yeah. The governor is taking a strong stance. But Dan, what is the appetite uh, for this same sort of position towards energy companies
3: when we look at the legislature as a whole? It really depends on who you talk to. There are some people who um, are with this proposal called the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which would move to 100% renewable at 2050. And they're gung-ho. They say, you know, the governor's on board with us now. This is a way to get it done without worrying about what ComEd and the other utilities have to say. But talk to a lot of other lawmakers and they're like, well, I just don't know, you know, if the agenda is going to move forward. And it all depends on the leaders in each of the chambers, the House and Senate, and whether they want to move forward. And, um, you know, politically, the House Speaker, Michael Madigan, is not known to be under federal scrutiny yet. But people in his inner circle have been touched by this investigation um, that also involves comments, lobbying practices so politically for him. He may not want to let that move forward in in an election year.
2: Well, we talked a bit about ethics reform, um, but the governor really made a point of trying to strike, I think, a bipartisan note in this address. He highlighted bipartisan legislation. At the same time, he also made critical references to former Governor Bruce Rauner and even called President Donald Trump out by name. Let's
1: listen. We stood up for human rights and civil rights when we put Donald Trump on notice that Illinois will not be complicit in his shameful and draconian immigration policies. Your thoughts, David Greising? He's kind of going to his base, uh, his anti-Trump base, and he's doing so safely so because he's in a state that even the Republicans here are not necessarily very enamored of President Trump. There aren't that many Republicans, for example, running for re-election to Congress who need President Trump in order to get elected. Um, Dan Lipinski obviously is in a very competitive race, and he has taken a position on abortion that is aligned with the president's agenda. But that's really, I think, a core value of Lipinski. I don't think he's doing that purely for political effect. And you don't see any sign that he or any of the others uh, that come come immediately to mind are really playing to Trump. So this was a safe thing for Governor Pritzker to do.
0: You know, and I think the reference to Rauner, you know, and and it was striking where he brought up this metaphor of the flag in front Mm -hmm. of the Thompson Center, a tattered flag that had been – there for, for many, many months as a result of the budget impasse under, under Governor Rauner that that prevented the company that provided flags to the Thompson Center from being paid. And so they just quit providing flags and maintaining them. And so that was woven into his speech. And I think the point of that was to kind of demonstrate to people that, you know, hey, I'm I've had a whirlwind first year as governor and the culture and the environment has really changed here. We're actually getting things done as opposed to, you know, just being in our trenches and doing nothing.
2: Dan, how
3: are lawmakers responding to the speech, especially Republican lawmakers? It was interesting because having covered some of the speeches under Rounder, it was always a very partisan event. You know, there were nods to bipartisanship, as every speech like this has. But um, Democrats were ready to attack the governor on what he had to say and uh, Republicans were ready to defend him. And Republicans had some criticisms of the speech. We talked about gerrymandering a little bit. That was one of the main criticisms that they had. And there are many pieces of Pritzker's agenda that are a little bit more progressive that they're just never going to vote for. The uh, graduated income tax amendment is something that Republicans in the House and Senate opposed. Um, It's up to voters now. But, you know, they generally have shown that they're willing to work with the governor to try to find common ground on issues, things that can help business, which is a big part of... uh, what they would like to do. And um, they don't really seem to have an appetite for making it the kind of grueling partisan battle it was under the previous administration.
2: You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset when we
3: break down the week's top stories. Our panel today,
2: WBEZ's Dave McKenney, David Greising of the Better Government Association, and Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Some other stories we're watching today, the first person-to-person coronavirus infection in the U.S. has been confirmed, and it's here in the Chicago area. Public health officials say a husband and wife in their 60s are hospitalized in Hoffman Estates. She had traveled from Wuhan, China, the center of the outbreak. Doctors here say the risk of infection remains low for most people, but everyone should just remember to wash their hands. A Chicago alderman next month will begin debating a ban on styrofoam and limits on the use of plastics. The proposed ordinance takes aim at single-use plastics. They make up roughly half of all plastic production. And more than 140,000 Illinois residents could lose their food stamps under the Trump administration's New Work rules. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul is joining a multi state lawsuit challenging them. The changes would prevent states from excusing adults who are able to work from maintaining steady employment in order to get food assistance. Well, let's turn to another big story this week. On Tuesday, former state senator Martin Sandoval pleaded guilty to bribery and tax evasion. Here's a bit of his apology that day.
0: I take full responsibility. I apologize to the people of Illinois and most importantly, the constituents.
2: David Gracing, the charges Sandoval faces are related to the red light camera industry. What's the backstory here?
1: Well, he uh, was very tied into the red light camera. Safe Speed is the company in particular, although it was not mentioned in the Though charges. No, he mentioned it. He, did, he, mentioned, he it. <laughs> mentioned it in court. Kind of, It was a very open secret. Everybody knew that was company A that was being referred to. The feds have alleged that he, and, and he pleaded now, that $250,000 in bribes There were very interesting details thrown out there that he was basically asking for a $5,000 per month graft retainer of sorts, um, which added up to $7,000 during the time that they had him wired. What was quite interesting was to see somebody who, until recently, had been one of the most powerful figures in the state legislature, the person who Governor Pritzker was looking to to kind of shepherd his $45 billion infrastructure plan, who actually went around the state last year touting the plan and building support for it, to see him down and and contrite at, in a way that you've never seen Marty Sandoval behave previously. It, it really does show what happens when you uh, get caught cheating the public.
2: Well, Dan, what do we know about how Sandoval's case fits into other federal investigations we know that are happening right now?
3: Well, we spoke earlier of Commonwealth Edison and um, one of the things on the laundry list of information federal agents were looking for when they raided his Springfield office was information about Commonwealth Edison, Commonwealth Edison executives. We know from an SEC filing this summer that the SEC is taking interest in Common Ed's interactions with Senator Sandoval. Senator Sandoval's uh, daughter happens to work for Commonwealth Edison. So that's one avenue. Um, there's things relating to the video gaming industry that were mentioned in the search warrant. There are things related to something my colleague, Jomar and and uh, Jason Meiser and I had a story in the Tribune about today, the recycled asphalt shingle industry, which is a very uh, insidery issue with IDOT and uh, a political benefactor of, of Sandoval. And this gentleman, Michael Vondra. He's been around politics for a long time. He's another person who is mentioned in these uh, these documents. So there are many, many tentacles in this investigation.
2: Well, Sandoval's plea agreement says he'll have to pay upwards of $85,000 back to the Illinois Department of Revenue and the IRS. He won't be sentenced until July, but the sentencing range for these charges is 10 to 13 years in prison. That being said, the plea agreement indicates he's cooperating with the feds. So, Dave, this sweeping investigation... We know that when his offices were raided, they were looking for documents related to everything Dan just listed there. I mean, just just talk about where I mean, considering Sandoval's position in the state and his power as a politician, what kind of tone does that set in Springfield?
0: Well, I mean I think you know I think people for months now have been very wary of Marty Sandoval, especially since the raid. They knew that that he was radioactive. Um, and and you know there's there's a whole, you know we've seen uh, Luis Arroyo, the state representative, former state representative, be indicted. We see, we've seen uh, state senator Tom Cullerton, who is still in office, be you know face uh, similar corruption charges. You know this this is it's it's sort of like I remember a long time ago I, I used to cover I covered a string of bank robberies out in the suburbs, and it was it was a serial thing where this husband and wife kept robbing banks. And I remember a guy at the FBI telling me at that point that. You know, they, they these guys think that they're smarter than the last one who got caught. And that's the same kind of dynamic here in Springfield where they, you know, they're, you would think that with Governor Blagojevich, for example, sitting in prison for as long as he is, there would be deterrent value. But but there really is no deterrent value when you get into that closed environment and and, and people's greed, the vanity, the power, it gets to people. And, and, you know, and that's what you see with Sandoval here where... You know I, I think david your your characterization of what it was what he was like in that courtroom was was so striking because i've covered this guy a long time. He was a bully, he intimidated people and and to see him be so contrite and so soft-spoken, and so apologetic. That, that that tone was just completely different than the Marty Sandoval that we've seen publicly.
2: Well, this takes me back, though, to Governor Pritzker's state of the state address and his call for ethics reform. Um, after the address, we talked to Republican State Representative Mark, Bat- Mark Batnik of the 97th District, and here's what he had to say uh, for this call for ethics reform.
0: We tend to do things down here where, where we want to get the headline, but the bill really doesn't have any strength behind it. I hope that we have really strong ethics bills, We really should, at this point, say, hey, we want to have the strongest ethics bills in the nation. And I'm not hopeful that that's going to happen in the next five months.
2: You know, and he brought up a good point in our conversation. He said, look, there are already – laws on the books <laughs> against bribery. There are already laws on the books against you know things people are being indicted for. But what we're talking about is something, something a little deeper. And he doesn't have a lot of hope that that kind of legislation, legislation with teeth, is actually going to get through Springfield. David Grice,
1: what do you think? Well, one of the ironies kind of There very much in front of us was, uh, first of all, all the people that Dan mentioned, all all the stuff that's going on, I think everybody seems to be aware and believe that this is all centered on can the feds find something that Mike Madigan may have done that's not legal. And, of course, Madigan has not been charged and has not been named as a target of any investigation so far as we know. But to have Mike Madigan standing behind J.B. Pritzker when he's saying that it's time to clean up Springfield and then to have Mike Madigan issue a statement saying we must send the clearest sign that the game is over and every step will be taken to prosecute. That is kind of a rich irony because so much of this seems to center on a system that Mike Madigan has helped to create by putting lobbyists, uh, former cronies in all kinds of positions at Commonwealth Edison and other places over the history of some of the scandals in Illinois politics over many years that Mike Madigan has run Springfield. He's been part of the problem, whether what he's done is legal or illegal. It's definitely problematic. And um, that, that shows you how hard the lift is going to be, how heavy the lift is going to be to try to clean up Springfield because Mike Madigan is part and parcel of the problematic circumstances down there. I,
0: I mean, there's sort of a pragmatic issue too here with with, with what Representative Batnick was saying on the on, on the phone there that, you know, we don't know what it's gonna look like. I mean, there almost could be an argument made that these guys ought to just cool their heels a little bit on ethics reform and let this play out and let's let's understand the true dimensions of this investigation and what went wrong and what is it exactly we need to legislate against because you know what we have right now is only i would venture to say probably just a, a, the skin of the apple basically mm-hmm. You know to venture into the Madigan, you know Madigan land and his famous apple eating habits, but but like you know that's the problem. These guys don't know what the feds have, what kinds of things. Nobody dreamed a week ago that Marty Sandoval was going to be in a courtroom saying that he took more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in bribes. So I would just say you know look ahead. You know you don't know what's going to come around the corner. And that's
1: one of the problems with this uh, reform commission that's doing its work right now and has a March thirty. one deadline to kind of come up with its recommendations. Dave's point is exactly on target. You can't solve years of problems in Springfield with a commission that basically does its work over about 12 weeks at the beginning of 2020. Whatever they come up with has to be the beginning and not the end of the reform process. And, and there's
0: a rich history here, too. Sorry. That's okay. a, a very rich yeah. history of where, you know, we'll have a scandal break out in federal court. The guys in Springfield and women will 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 decide they have to react and, and then nothing happens. And, and I think back to the Illinois Reform Commission in 2009, they they had a whole list of, of ideas that many of them were excellent ideas. Nothing came to Fruition very little did. So Dan, what will you be watching
2: for as we as we start the spring legislative session?
3: Well, one thing I will be watching for is what comes out of that ethics commission. I've covered a couple of their hearings now, and some interesting discussion, but lots of very weedy issues. And how do you define who's a lobbyist? How do you regulate this from the state all the way down to municipalities with you know five thousand or fewer residents? Um, And one point that keeps coming up too with people on the commission and people who are observing the commission is that the things that people have gotten caught doing and been charged with or are alleged to have done are already illegal Mm -hmm. so the question is how do you make it clear that they're doing those things sooner or how do you kind of tamp down the culture that gets people to the point where they're breaking the laws that already exist well that's quite a bit from Springfield this week here were some
2: other local stories of note including this one
3: A major shakeup in the Chicago Police Department. While Charlie Beck is the interim superintendent and has only been here for a couple months, the former Los Angeles police chief is completely restructuring the way CPD operates.
1: 1,100 officers moving back under district command. Interim superintendent Charlie Beck says the added resources come with added accountability for commanders. We think it is a robust model that is state of the art for policing and that will allow CPD. To do even a better job than it's doing.
2: So let's talk about that story. Interim Chicago Police Superintendent Charlie Beck announced major changes to the structure of the police department. Here's Beck earlier this week.
1: These are pretty sweeping changes, but I've received strong support, universal support for this. You know, we had a long discussion, and and like uh, like any good boss, I took all the questions that I could take, but then you know we walk out of that room with unity of purpose. You know, we are. We are, as a team, going to make this work.
2: So, David Greising, this is a big reorganization. Talk a little bit about what's going to happen under this change.
1: Well, uh, some people outside are calling this a radical decentralization. This is completely different than policing has been done in Chicago for many, many years. Uh, It's kind of out of Charlie Beck's playbook from when he was in Los Angeles, taking cops and putting them back on the streets, taking these special units that were focused on narcotics and gang crimes and getting them out policing side by side with beat cops and the idea is you get that expertise that they had in those special units and you actually put them out on the streets instead of, instead of these kind of siloed areas Charlie Beck said he's trying to break down silos we'll see how it goes. The problem is that this puts a lot of responsibility in the hands of 22 district commanders across the city. And whether those people, many of whom, most of whom, came up through the Chicago Police Department with not very good training, the lack of training has been identified as a big problem here in the Chicago Police Department, will they really be able to manage this effectively and will it have the intended effect? And so that's one of the big questions. The other two things that he's done that are very important are this new Office for Police Reform, Mm Which is meant to go forward with the police consent decree and, and the office
2: that's the Office of Constitutional Policing and, and Reform. Right, mm-hmm. right,
1: and and then the the Counterterrorism Office as well, which is a very Im- important structural move in today's environment.
2: Dan, how do these moves connect to the federal consent decree CPD is currently operating under?
3: They've created this whole new office. What's going to be one of the highest offices within CPD to oversee this. There's been questions already about how well uh, CPD has been doing in meeting some of the requirements of the consent decree in the time that it uh, has been in effect, which is not very long so far. Um, So they're really putting a priority there, and they have put a woman in charge um, who is going to be the highest-ranking African-American woman in the history of the Chicago Police Department. Mm -hmm. So it's showing a commitment there to, to making some of those changes that stem from the Laquan McDonald case.
2: Well, one thing that's interesting is Beck is the interim superintendent. So these changes are going to be inherited by whoever the city hires as the permanent superintendent, presumably not Beck. He says he doesn't want the permanent job. Dave, how surprised are you that he's making these big structural changes to the department when he's acting in an interim capacity?
0: I find it kind of strange, to be honest, because, I mean, these ideas, they all seem to have merit but what happens if the next person comes in and doesn't like what happens here, doesn't like the, the, the way it looks? Are we going to do another reorganization to kind of fix the mistakes that that person thinks here? It's a strange thing to put an interim person in charge of a major, major initiative like this. We'll see how it turns out. But I wonder, too, if there is some strategy at play
2: here on Mayor Lightfoot's part. You know, Beck can come in he's going to make these sweeping changes, and then he leaves, right? He's not the guy who's going to have to deal with the fallout. But then there's a structure in place that the new person can just step into. So, I mean, is that maybe part of the calculation here, Dave?
1: I think that's absolutely it. And I I have a background as a business journalist and covering companies that get in really bad shape or even down to bankruptcy. This is a strategy that's used a lot. Bring in an interim CEO to do the dirty work, the heavy lifting, and then have the new person come in who's kind of can have just everything goes well is easy Uh, not easy but but more uh, manageable and that seems to be what's going on and to Dave's point about will they hire a new superintendent who won't buy into this Beck program I expect Lori Lightfoot uh, his thinking playing a long game here and whomever she is will bring in for that position probably in March people are expecting uh, will probably be somebody who sees those reforms that Beck is doing as being productive and and the right trajectory for the department.
2: You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today David Grising of the Better Government Association, WBEZ's Dave McKenney, and Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Some other stories we're watching today Facebook has agreed to a $550 million settlement on claims it violated Illinois privacy law. Its facial recognition auto tagging function gathered and saved information about users, but they did that without their consent. So the lawsuit has been going on for nearly five years, and Illinois residents eligible for compensation would be notified after the settlement is approved by a judge. And the art collection owned by Chicago's Johnson Publishing Company is sold at auction for nearly $3 million. Most works went for thousands more than estimated. Johnson Publishing was forced to sell its collection of works by African American and African artists to help pay off bankruptcy debt. Well, I want to turn now to Another corruption case out of Chicago, indicted Alderman Ed Burke of the 14 Ward. Burke's trial has been pushed until at least next year as federal prosecutors turn over undercover recordings and documents. David, this Grising, this is the first update on this case since last fall. Your thoughts?
1: Well, it really just puts you in the context of how long we've been at this. The allegations against Burke first arose after the butcher paper went up on his offices in November of 2018. And that was just the first of what has wound up being a statewide corruption investigation, the likes of which, as Dave pointed out earlier, we have never seen before. The Burke part of it, just think of the change in the politics of Chicago since then. Because of Burke, we have the mayor who got elected. Lori Lightfoot has said publicly that that's the moment at which she knew she really had a shot at becoming mayor. The City Council is completely restructured with Burke completely out of power, as was made evident in laurie lightfoot 's first meeting of the City council. so it really does show you how transformational this moment has been in in large measure to the work of the prosecutor's office, the the U.S. attorney, John Lausch, and the FBI people who have gone after these public corruption cases.
2: But again, we're dealing with corruption now. So we're talking about corruption at the city level, alleged corruption at the city level, and at the state level. And, And I'm just curious, when you take a step back, what do you make of the fact that this is the conversation that we're having right now in Illinois? And it's not limited to just one body of government. Is this a place or, or a time when we can actually see a shift because it's so central to what's happening at so many levels of government, Dan?
3: Well, it's not just the city and the state. It's the the suburbs as well. There are uh, village halls in the, the near southwest suburbs. Lyons, McCook, that were raided by federal agents, had the, the village president of Oakbrook Terrace resign after it was brought to light that he was under, under federal scrutiny. Um, so it really is a time you know, unlike the, the Bukovic era where it kind of all seemed like it's centralized around the governor and the people close to him, this is maybe not new. This stuff has been going on for a long time, but it is really revealing how deep-seated it is and how it stretches to every level of government. And it's it really going to depend on how seriously lawmakers in Springfield can um, take this issue, enact laws that will tighten up some of these things, and whether there can be a cultural change around the way government is done in Illinois.
2: Dave, your thoughts?
0: I mean, it's really stunning, Jen. I mean, it really is stunning and discouraging in a lot of ways that, that you know, here we have like, you know, we all live through the, the the George Ryan conviction and the Rod Blagojevich conviction. And again, I, I go back to the point I made earlier in the show about the whole point of this is to have a deterrent to this kind of behavior. And I think, you know, there was a line that, that Pritzker put in his speech that, you know, when, when people think about doing disgusting things politically, we should react with disgust. But there's just a culture where, where, this, where, where people get power, they get access to millions of dollars in public funds, and then they, they treat it as if it's a piggy bank. That is a problem. It's pervasive. And the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI are the ones that are, are, are attacking it, but you, you, you do have to question, do they even have the resources? I mean, it just seems everywhere.
2: That's WBEZ's Dave McKenney. Also with us for this week's roundup, Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune and David Kreising of the Better Government Association. And that's a wrap for today's Reset. Watch for a Sunday pod to drop into your feed and you can listen to it while you get breakfast ready or while you run errands on Sunday. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening and let's talk again soon.